Exodus chapter 18, verse 17 to 24, uh, we're going to talk about leadership this morning, and we find some really interesting, there's so much interesting insight on leadership in the Bible. This is just one particular passage that I was drawn to this week. I'll give you some context of this passage. Uh, Moses, Moses is the leader of the Israel nation, the Hebrew slaves. And he's kind of in charge of everything. And all the people are coming to him with their issues, with their problems, with their conflicts. And his father-in-law and mentor, that doesn't always work out that way, but in this, <laughs> in this particular situation, uh, Jethro, who's Moses' father-in-law, happens to be his mentor, uh, trusted advisor, comes to visit him and sees Uh, how Moses is leading, and he offers this counsel and advice, um, starting in verse 17. After Moses, father-in-law Jethro, saw all that Moses was doing, he said to Moses, what you're doing is not good. You and the people who come to you will soon be worn out. This job is too much for one person. You can't do it alone. God will help you if you follow my advice. Here's his advice. What you need to do is focus on this. You should be the one to speak to God on behalf of the people. And you should teach the people God's laws and show them what they must do to live right. Now you will need to appoint some competent leaders who respect God and are trustworthy and honest. And then put them over groups of ten... 50, 100, and 1,000. Now these judges can handle the ordinary cases and then they bring the more difficult ones to you. Having them to share the load will make your work easier. This is the way God wants it done. You won't be under nearly as much stress and everyone else will return home feeling satisfied. And Moses followed Jethro's advice. Well, the first insight that I get from this is that leaders need mentors. Moses was perhaps one of the greatest leaders in human history. But even the greatest leaders have blind spots. We have areas that we do not see objectively. Areas of weakness, areas of limitations, uh, areas of sinfulness, areas of ego. Just areas of innocent blunders that we cannot see on our own. Leaders need mentors to speak into our lives and once in a while say, what you're doing isn't good. (laughs) We all need that. Um, Leaders need leaders in their lives. Some of us have this idea that we get to a point, well, I'm a leader, so that's my role, I'm a leader. No, you need someone who you are following. I talk about my mentors a lot because they they have meant so much to me in my own journey as a Christian, as a husband, as a father, as a pastor, as a human being. And one of the first words of advice when I was young and ambitious and driven and assumed that I could lead better than anyone else in the world, uh, they, they told me very clearly, you can't lead until you learn how to follow. Until you let someone else lead you, you have no right, you have no authority to lead others. That was a hard lesson to learn, but it was such an important lesson for me to learn. Leaders need mentors. Principle number two, don't overextend yourself. 
Moses has overextended himself. <laughs> and it, often it, it takes a, a mentor to point these kinds of things out. Jethro says, this is too much for one person. And it's, it's, it's going to prevent you from, well, being healthy for one thing. It's going to prevent you from doing what God has actually called you to do. And it's going to frustrate the people that you've been called to lead. Because you can't do this. You're going to be ineffective. You're going to be inadequate in what you're trying to do. So don't overextend yourself. And and churches, we need to be mindful to not place too much responsibility on any one person or any group. And, And that's something we are really growing in. But we still have some work to do. I have seen every church. I can't think of a church. I don't know every church in the world, but I know enough of them to know that we all have a history of burning out leaders. We just wear them out. And we don't do it intentionally. I don't know any church that's like, okay, we're really going to suck the life out of this guy. (laughs) Right? I don't think this is like a mission statement, a secret mission statement we have. It's just when someone's, especially when someone's doing a great job, oh, you're awesome. Here, can you do this as well? And we just need to be mindful of not placing too much responsibility on any one person or any group. And that's something we're, we are getting better at. We are getting better at. And Gift Discernment, uh, I'm a part of that committee, and that's something that we are trying to be mindful of. We don't always get it right. I'll tell you that there are, there are moments when, when if I listen to that still inner voice, I probably wouldn't ask some of you to do the things that I ask you to do. But I know you're awesome at it. I know you're great at it. I know you have gifts. And I'm like, I got this one, Spirit of God. I think I know. No, they can do it. It's hard to really live faithfully to that inner teacher. But it's something we, I think we're more mindful of it, and I think we are making progress there. Some of you are smiling at me in, a, in an uncomfortable way, so I'm going <laughs> to avoid eye contact for a little bit. <laughs> Principle three, know your purpose. Know your purpose and stay focused on it. This is, this is a, such an important one, and that's, that's what Jethro does for Moses. He doesn't just say you're doing too much. He's saying, here's what you need to focus on. You need to get back to the primary call of God upon your life. Do few things, do them well. And then he names the two things. Here's what you need to invest. All of your time and energy, everything else is a distraction. This is what you need to be doing. You should be the one to speak to God for the people, And you should teach the people God's laws and show them what they must do to live right. The only way you're going to be able to do that is if you treat everything else as distraction. That's really hard. That is really hard to stay focused on your primary purpose and treat everything else as a distraction. Do you know why it's hard? Because we have egos. Don't kid yourself. Your your desire to help everyone who comes along, nine times out of ten, it's your ego. It's rarely the Spirit of God that's telling you to distract yourself from the primary purpose that God has given you to help someone probably do something they could do for themselves or help them do something that God has actually gifted someone else to help them with. But if that's not your primary purpose, if you are constantly distracted when people are like, hey, can you help me? That's what was happening to Moses. They need you to... No. Understand your purpose. Stay focused on it. This is how Jesus lived. I mean, Jesus was very blunt. Our egos can't stand the thought of someone walking away thinking, well, that person's a jerk. Oh, our egos can't stand that. 
We, need, we want to be liked. We want to, be, we want to make people happy. You know what's interesting? I, I love talking to retired pastors and ministers or, or mi- ministers who are approaching retirement because the most common regret I hear them lament is this, people-pleasing. I wish I had not spent so much, so many years of my ministry trying to please everyone. My, my family suffered for it. My ministry suffered for it. And I wasn't able to focus on what God was actually calling me to do. And I've heard it enough that I'm just doing everything within my power to stay focused on what God has called me to do. The few things. And it is hard. I mean, I'm a normal human being with an ego, and I like people to like me. I like people to think that I'm great. Oh, Troy helped us out again. Troy helped another person. We all want that. Then I look to Jesus. Like there's, one, there's so many examples of this. One story, Luke 12. He's teaching the crowds. And a man says, excuse me, Rabbi. My brother is being very unfair. Can you tell him to share our father's inheritance with me? And Jesus says, man, who made me executor and judge between you? And then... He just treats the man like a distraction and starts talking back to the crowd. And he actually makes an example of the guy. He says, everyone, listen, listen, listen. Watch out. Be on guard against all forms of greed. Even the forms of greed that come in in the form of, of my rights. This is what is fair. This is what is just. Because life is not about the abundance of possessions. I'm trying to teach you what life is really about. This guy's distracting us from it. And then he tells him a parable. That's the story. Go read it. Luke 12. And what I find interesting is he doesn't, Jesus doesn't inquire more information from this guy. Is this a legitimate, maybe this is a legitimate case. Maybe this guy's, him and his family are being subjected to poverty because of his brother doing some unjust thing. We don't know why, because Jesus doesn't inquire. Jesus doesn't ask. Jesus says, you're distracting me from what God has called me to do. I have a purpose here. I'm doing something. No. Think about that for a while. Meditate on that. Jesus doesn't say, excuse me, sorry, I'm, 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 I'm busy here. <laughs> Trying to teach people about the kingdom of God. But, you know, come up and see me after. And I'll be sure to help you. And if I can't help you, I'll find someone who can. That's not what Jesus does. Jesus doesn't say, talk to one of my disciples and we'll set up an appointment for you next Tuesday. Those are my office hours. Right? And I, and I kind of think Jesus wants us to be that single-minded on our primary purpose. When we are all living focused on our primary purpose, that's when together we, we shine. And that's what Jesus says. Once you put your hand to the plow and you become distracted, you're not fit for service in the kingdom of God. Know your purpose. Stay focused. Don't let other people take you off course. Next, choose qualified leaders. This is a tough one for churches too. I mean, all churches are guilty of this. Our qualification is a warm body, right? That's, that's kind of what we're looking for. Do you have a pulse? You can do this. Qualified leaders. What are the, there's three qualifications that Jethro gives Moses. Here are the leaders you want to look for. First is competence. Competent leaders. 
You want to look for people who have the skills, the knowledge, the experience, the character traits that are necessary to do the job, to do what you're asking them to do. Second, you want people who walk humbly with God. Some versions say fear God or respect God. I prefer walk humbly with God. You, you want leaders in a church community who are, have an active relationship with God and who are actively submitting to the ultimate authority of God in their lives. It's really important. Three, you want leaders who are trustworthy and honest. So when you are putting them in leadership positions, you want the majority of people. I mean, you're never going to get 100%. Good luck finding that person. But you want the majority of people to find this person trustworthy, to trust this person. You want people who have reliable character. You want people who walk in truth and who speak the truth. Say what they mean, mean what they say, and walk what they talk, right? So those are the characteristics of of leaders that Jethro encourages Moses to find. And then, the next principle is delegate responsibility. This is a wordy one. Delegate responsibility, authority, and accountability accordingly. What does that mean? Well, Jethro tells Moses... Give people a level of responsibility based on their level of competence, walking humbly with God, and being trustworthy and honest. So some, based on their leadership qualities, you're going to give them responsibility for 10 people. Now some people, you're going to give them more responsibility, higher level of responsibility over 50. Some over 100. Some you're going to give a huge, huge responsibility over 1,000 people. So make sure their level of responsibility matches what they're prepared and equipped for. When you when you put people into positions of responsibility that they're not able to live up to, that, that's, really, that's really demoralizing, and it can actually really hinder them from attempting to lead in the future because they feel like they're not good enough. So make sure it's appropriate for where they are at. The next thing, you want, when you give them a level of responsibility, you want to give them an equal level of authority. So Moses, when he, when he says you're responsible for these 10 people, you also have authority with these 10 people. When you have responsibility for 1,000 people, you also have that equivalent level of authority. Does that make sense? Yes. And then with a certain level of authority, you want an equal level of accountability. That's the intention here, is to keep a balance between the level of responsibility authority, and accountability. Now, what do I mean by those three words? Well, I think the, the definitions are really in the words themselves. So responsibility is the ability to respond. You're given a commitment. You have the ability to respond to that commitment by fulfilling it. So you don't give responsibility to someone who doesn't have the ability to respond to that commitment and, and not fulfill it, right? So that's Responsibility. The ability to take something on and do what you agree to do. Accountability, again, it's, it's, in, it's in the word. It's the ability to account for you fulfilling what you have agreed to fulfill. If, when you ask someone to give an account of an event that they are at that you weren't at, they are helping you understand what happened, right? So to give an account is to demonstrate to others that you are fulfilling the responsibility you've accepted. Authority. Again, the... The definition is in the name. It's the ability to author how you fulfill responsibility. Now, an author of a story has control over how that story unfolds. They get to decide where the story goes, how the story 
occurs, right? So if you, if you are author of an, in an area of responsibility, that means you get to choose how you fulfill it. That's authority. When you look at effective and healthy organizations and, and churches, two things they try and do with these three dynamics of power, responsibility, authority, and accountability. The first thing they do is have clearly defined, they clearly define what a person or a group is responsible for. They clearly define what that group or person is accountable for and who they are accountable to. And they clearly define what that person or group has authority over. So the clearer those definitions are, and the more that everyone else understands them, the, the more functional, the, the healthier that community and organization becomes. Does that, that make sense? I think that's common sense, right? So that is something that Avon has been working on through the restructuring, and now the administrative leadership team is really taking on that work and I think is, is doing a tremendous job. There's still work to be done, and to be honest with you, I, I, I'm done with it. That's not really my... I've been reminded through this what my primary purpose is, and it's not restructuring. <laughs> so I'm glad we, we have a team that's going to take that on, and I'll give my two cents when necessary, but I, I want to get back to focusing on my primary purpose. That's the first thing that we need to do, clearly define those levels of responsibility, accountability, and authority. The second thing is to make sure that we balance those three. And, and that's not always as easy as it sounds. I mean, uh, many, many churches have situations where they have uh, a leader who's given a tremendous amount of authority and very little accountability. And, I mean, the dysfunction and toxic stuff that, that happens when in those situations is it can be traumatic. It can be uh, all sorts of corruption and, and abuse and addiction to power, addiction to titles and roles. Just, just it's, it's awful. And when, it, when a church gets into a, a really severe situation of that, you off, it often requires outside help. Or what typically happens is the, the church splits or some scandal happens or it explodes or implodes. Because the, the only solution in that situation is you, you have to either increase the accountability to match the level of authority that you've given that leader or that group, or you have to downsize the authority of that person or group to match the low level of accountability, and that's easier said than done once someone or a group has become accustomed to a certain level of authority. Now, this can happen in very subtle ways. It's, it's not always there's one person who's obviously on an ego trip who's taking control of the whole group. This can happen in very subtle ways, and, and in my opinion, this is one of the limitations of striving for consensus. What happens when we strive for pure consensus is the intention is to give authority to the community, but it creates tremendous potential for ultimate authority to be given to one or two individuals. Right? I mean, one or two individuals can claim ultimate authority by simply refusing to concede. So what is intended to give power and authority to the community actually can. That, that consensus works really well with a small group of really mature people. <laughs> but it gets worse. It's not just that, that it gives high levels of power and authority to one or two individuals or has the potential to do that. It has the potential to give ultimate authority to one or two individuals who have no accountability. That's the thing. When we give authority to people, we have to give matching levels of accountability and responsibility. Aristotle puts it this way. 
Nature abhors a vacuum. And what, what he's saying there is, in the universe, if there's, if there's void or empty space, the universe will rush in and fill it with something. And what social scientists and uh, psychologists and sociologists and political scientists have discovered the same in regards with power. When there's a power vacuum, someone or some group will rush in and fill it. The power vacuum will not continue indefinitely. Here's the trick. We want to maintain the ideal and the goal and the aim of consensus, of unity, of making sure no one has more power than the other. We also have to acknowledge that in a group, people always have more power than others. So trying to pretend that that isn't our reality actually makes that imbalance of power more dangerous because it's not held accountable. In fact, not only is it not held accountable, we don't even, we, nope, we don't see it. There's many different ways to accrue power in a group like this. One is, if you're the primary teacher up here all the time, that's power. I have to be held accountable for the power that I've been given in this community. But there's many different ways you can accrue power in a group like this. Personality. Some people just have a personality. People just do what they say. Let them, you know, if certain knowledge gives you power. Um, if, if you have uh, com- certain communication skills, seniority, so many different ways we can accrue power. It's important for us as communities to recognize there are power imbalances. We're not trying to eliminate those. Good luck. What we're trying to do is manage the power imbalance with wisdom and love. The other, the other scenario is this. So one scenario is we give too much authority, not enough accountability. Another scenario is we give too much responsibility, not enough authority. And there's nothing more demoralizing, discouraging, and deflating than being responsible to do something, but not being given the authority to actually do it. (laughs) And that happens a lot in churches as well. And what always happens is is either that, that person or that group will burn out, or they will just stop caring. I mean, how can you care when you're responsible for something that you can't actually do? Again, that creates a dysfunction and toxic environment for, for leaders to operate in, for all of us to operate in. And again, that's, it becomes problematic when we unintentionally empower backseat leaders, right? You know how annoying backseat drivers are? They can be pretty annoying. Well, backseat leaders are just as annoying. And so it's, we need to really, as a community, we need to commit to limiting our tolerance for backseat leaders. People who have no responsibility in an area, yet use their voice as if they have authority in how that responsibility should be fulfilled. Are you feeling me? We need to limit that. We've empowered leaders this morning. We've blessed them, we've commissioned them, and, and I'm... I'm committing myself. One of, the, one of the things that when I was contemplating and reflecting on what, are the, what is my primary purpose, what has God called me to do, um, the fourth one is to empower leaders to lead. And so I'm committing myself to do that. And, and leaders, we've asked you to lead. We've given you responsibility. And I'm in your corner. And, you know, I'll go down with you. Please don't take it that far. But, but I... I I will, because we need to empower leaders to lead. And I'm inviting the congregation, empower our leaders to lead. 
Can you contemplate that? Pray about that this week. Meditate on what that might mean for us and for you. But here's the thing. We are all leaders. All of us are leaders. At the very minimum, you are called to lead a life worthy of the calling that Christ has placed upon you. We are all leaders. And we all have responsibility, authority, and accountability in our lives. Well, we should have accountability. Sometimes that one's missing, right? Sometimes it can feel like the level of responsibilities in your life, you kind of feel like Moses. Overwhelmed. I mean, I am concerned for the way we live, to be honest with you. We are so busy. We are, there's so much going on in most of our lives. I'm not sure it's sustainable. I, I don't have an answer yet, but there, more and more people that I talk to are just, how do I simplify my life? How do I alleviate myself from, from some of the stress of, of, of being? And I think that's what Jesus' core message was about. I mean, he's telling us to go hang out with with the trees and the flowers and the birds. Yet how many of us have enough time to do that? We have all these responsibilities. It's not like we're spending all our time watching Netflix and on social media. If if you are, that might be one solution that you can find to free up some time. Um, Most of us, we have responsibilities. What do we do with these? Well, sometimes we have to let some of those responsibilities go. That's tough. Again, ego comes back, right? We're going to fail. We're going to let someone down. We're going to disappoint people. I remember another uh, crucial piece of advice that one of my mentors gave me. Troy, choose your failures now. Don't just choose what you're going to be good at. Choose your failures because you cannot succeed at everything that people are going to expect you to. You cannot fulfill all the expectations that a church will place upon you. I mean, each person walking in there is going to have three to four expectations. Well, that's, you know, whatever that is, 460. Uh, Good luck with that. Don't even try. Choose what you're going to fail at. And sometimes we are in a position where we need to prune the responsibility tree. And it's hard because that means we're going to let someone down. It means we're going to let ourselves down, right? Because we have this overinflated sense of self that we should be able to do all things. Well, that's one option, but there is another option, and that is to increase the authority and power in our lives to match all our responsibilities. I'm kind of meditating on that one. How does that work? (laughs) That's something I could probably package and sell for a decent amount of money, right? (laughs) I was thinking about it, reflecting, praying, and, and I was just struck with how power is a pretty prominent theme in what it means to follow the way of Jesus. Like Jesus promises all of us the baptism of the Holy Spirit, if you so desire. And Jesus describes that as being clothed with power from on high. Divine power. Like unlimited, infinite power. Sometimes we become so familiar with these these terms and phrases that we, we lose sight of. Jesus is offering me infinite power. Meditate on that for a couple of weeks. Like, and Paul, I mean, one of the things I love about Paul is I think he, he understood a lot of Jesus' teachings more than most. Did he get everything right? No. Who does? But he, like in Ephesians, when he's talking, God, who is able to do far more than we could ever, infinitely more than we could ever ask or imagine, according to 
God's power that is at work in us. There's tremendous power. There is more power and authority available to us. How do we tap into that? That'd be a great cliffhanger. But, and I know I've already gone over time, but, I, but I'm, I'm going to make one more observation, reflection. Maybe it comes in the form of a question. I'm not sure. Because I think it's important. Last week I talked about how the purpose of God assembling a group of people like us together to be the local body of Christ, to be a local church, is so that God's presence is made more visible to the world around us through how we do community, how we do life together, how we be human together. And one of the ways that that happens is through how we do power together. And I believe one of the mysterious and paradoxical calls of Christ is that we... Not only do we balance responsibility, authority, and accountability, we need to balance power with vulnerability. That's not easy. And Paul, again, understood this. Paul was struggling, and he got a direct message from God. And he shares it with us. God directly communicated to Paul and said, My grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. When we want to, if we want to tap into the divine, the flow of divine power into our lives, we need to enter more deeply into our weaknesses. But more than that, we need to be vulnerable about them and open them up to others that we are in community with. That is not for softies. That is for very courageous people. And the way this, I believe this is supposed to work in Christian community so that it it radiates a different way of being human together to the world around us, I think it's supposed to start with those of us who have the most power and authority. The more power and authority you have in this group, the more you are called to be open and vulnerable about your weaknesses. Being a leader in Christian community is risky. But I believe that's what God is. And when we do, when we enter into our own weaknesses, and when we open them up with great fear and trepidation to others, that is when the divine power flows into our lives, and more importantly, into our relationships with one another and how we be human together.